You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this episode is hosted by Ryan. In this episode, this is the female empowerment episode. We bring to you two amazing segments. In our first segment, we are proud to present to you powerhouse producer Deborah Martin Chase. You may have heard of some of her movies and TV shows, films such as Harriet, Just Right, Courage Under Fire, The Princess Diaries, The Preacher's Wife, or TV shows such as Cinderella, The Cheetah Girls, Zoe Ever After, or currently The Equalizer on CBS. We're chatting with her to talk about the female leads collection that is currently streaming on Disney+. And we're excited to geek about everything that she is involved in right now. In our second segment, we speak to the women behind the organization called the National Center of Women and Information Technology. We're excited to speak to guests Jeffrey Ann Wilder, Terry Hogan, and Katherine Ashcraft. Each of them will talk about various issues from unconscious bias, organizational change and institutional barriers, and pop culture and representation in media with respect to youth identity, race, gender, class, and sexuality. So if you're interested in all of these topics and more, stick around for the second segment of the podcast. And just a quick production note on segment one with Deborah Martin Chase. We did have some technical issues on some mic issues with Ryan. So unfortunately, there is a little bit of an awkward start at this recording so I do apologize for that but overall it sounds really great but I just wanted to give you guys a heads up it's an awkward start and the audio on Ryan's end is not the best but you can hear her just fine so sit back relax and enjoy you will certainly enjoy and get a lot out of this this week's episode of the black girl nerds podcast Right. And what, um, and I'm also curious too, speaking of being a player, Martin Chase Productions um, was affiliated with Disney till like 2016, I believe that's right. Will you um, kind of walk us through, what is that like for you? Because I'm just thinking about like when you're looking at the credits, when you're a movie nerd like I am, and you're seeing this, that you have this black girl magic, um, this uh, talented woman behind the scenes, and she has Martin Chase Productions following these major projects. What is that like for you to have that opportunity for yourself to create your own production company? So, yeah. So, for instance, with the Cheetah Girls, I originally um, sold Cheetah Girls to the Disney Channel as a television series, and with the same writer, Allison Taylor, uh, Ultimate Writer. And when um, we finished the script, international. The international divisions of the Disney Channel had to sign off on a, on a new television series. And when it was sent around, they were like, well, we can't sell this because these girls aren't real. Nobody's going to believe that these black and Latino girls in New York City are living on Park Avenue and, and are living this fancy. And I was so pissed off. You know, there's the, the point of the show is to show that people live different lives and, you know, that these girls have big dreams and, and aspirations. And but Gary Marsh, to his credit, who was the head of the Disney Channel then and now, like worldwide president, said, look, I I don't control the series totally, but I do control movies. And if you re reconfigure this as a movie, 
I can, I can, you know, make that happen. And so we did and he, and he did. And then in success, we were able to do obviously two more movies in the franchise. Wow. And it's just, I'm also curious for you, when are, when did you start ignoring some of the no's? You know what I mean? Or were you just so into these projects or so had these, these very creative visions that it just, you just want to go, you were going to go through it regardless. Like no matter what anybody said, you know, whether a studio was going to accept it or not, were these ideas just in your head about Princess Diaries, about Cheetah Girls, um, Cinderella, where you were like, okay, this is going, this is going for it regardless. Well, it's also like you said, not giving up because because things that along the way seem very obvious to me because I'm, I, you know, was coming from in some respects, you know, I, you know, I, I had my own point of view on things were not as obvious to particularly the powers that be. And so it was like being persistent and and explaining why, you know, I felt that there was an audience for these things. Right. Um, and kind of to, to to talk about um, just the audience and kind of pushing forward here. Disney Plus has female leads collection. Uh, we talked about Princess Diaries, by the way, as part of their rebellious, uh, rebellious royalty, if I can get it out. Um, for Cinderella, what is that like? That was 1997 when that premiered. What is that like to have that now back for Disney Plus? And what do you think that's going to mean for like, the you know, the new Black Girl Magic, the little girls coming up that don't know too much about it, that are going to see Brandy in that role and the late, great Whitney Houston? Well, listen, it was just, it, it, it was so rewarding to see the hoopla surrounding, you know, the addition of Cinderella to Disney Plus 20 over 25 years after the movie mm-hmm. originally originally debuted. I mean, I it was we I were doing interviews and I you know, I reconnected with Paolo Montalban who I hadn't seen in a few years and you know, it was just it was a great thing and the social media outpouring on social media. So, I mean, honestly what what happened there was I had been getting inquiries on my social media about where is Cinderella? Why is it not on Disney Plus? And my assistant actually kept saying to me, you don't realize this is a big deal on social media that there's that, you know, they, that there's no Cinderella on Disney Plus. And finally, Brandy and her mom called me and Brandy had some new music out and she was doing a bunch of interviews and they were like, people keep asking, why isn't it on Disney Plus? Do you know? So I was like, okay. So it just happened by then the the president of Disney Plus is an, a black woman, um, a longtime friend, Vanessa Morrison. So I called Vanessa, and she you know she was relatively new in the job, and she was like, oh, I don't know, let me look into it. And it turns out there were some rights issues. So you know she she told them you know let's get it done, and and six to nine months later we had the the big brouhaha, <laughs> splashy. Yeah you know, addition. So it was, um, and I'm just, that movie means so, again, you talk about being hard headed, being persevering, persevering. It took, uh, it was so tough to make that movie. And I, I had great producing partners in, you know, the late great Craig Zayden and Neil Marin and Chris Montan. We kind of linked arms and and said we were not going to be defeated. Um, But I, I am so thrilled that it is, it, it's around for generations to come. And I know how I made, one of the reasons for me personally to make it was because I knew how much it would have meant to me growing up to have a black Cinderella. And mm-hmm. I, um, so anyhow, I, I, I just, I love that movie so much and I'm thrilled in so many ways about it. Yeah. And the topics like, I loved it because I'm just thinking about, I don't know if I should reveal, I was seven when, when it came out and I was watching it. And I didn't even think about, I was just too busy dancing to the music and loving seeing Brandy and all that. I didn't realize how revolutionary, you know, what it was going to mean right. as I got older. Right. So I, that's what I just love about a lot of the projects that you're involved in. Leave you leave this lasting impact that you don't know till later, which I think is so phenomenal about your work that it just kind of ingrains you that these powerful women don't stop and they'll do it regardless. Speaking of which, the Equalizer, so dope. Huge opening after the Super Bowl. Queen yeah. people doing everything. But you guys have worked together on Just Right before as well, which is another, if you guys have not seen that romantic comedy, it's another family's romantic comedy. Yeah. Um, 
No, you know, it's funny. Um, we were actually just talking about the fact that, that Queen Latifah and I actually first met over 25 years ago because we had dinner uh, the week that Set It Off came out, right? So that's going way back. <laughs> nice, yeah. Going way back. So then we made Just Right Together a decade ago. And in fact, I mean, you, you I, I'm sitting here now in my office. Um, our, our, we are shooting at the IZOD Center, part of the Meadowlands in New Jersey. And okay. my office is in one of the sky boxes and our standing sets are on the floor of the arena. This is where we shot the basketball sequences for Just Right. So what? it's like it's coming full circle, really cool to for both of us to be back here again. Oh man, that's cool. See, I'm now I'm just staring at the background now because that's all I that's all I want to know about now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you um, you can see over my shoulder. Yeah. But, um, but on the floor there, it it like four of our standing sets. Yeah. Um. And two, this is what is so dope about this thing too is Queen Latifah like the fight scenes. And they always try to wait. I always feel like for black women, they always try to say, okay, well, you get this certain age, oh, then you can't do this. And I'm like, well, she's still breathing and she's still training and she's a badass, so why can't she do it? That's right. You know, and the fact that she's putting all that together and doing this on screen, what uh, were there a lot of conversations between both you ladies about just kind of what you wanted to reflect in the character as for equalizer? Sure. We spent, this, character was, this character was developed for Queen Latifah. Um, we have amazing showrunners, Terry Miller and Andrew Marlowe, and we all spent a lot of time talking, meeting and talking about who the character was, who she should be, you know, really what the show should be about. And then, you know, Queen Latifah spent even more time with them on her own. So this, this, this Robin McCall very much is in her voice. And, and we talked about, we wanted her to kick ass. I mean, that was, you know, like should she, this, that came, that was organic to a character like this. And, and listen, I have been trying to produce black women who kick butt for a long time. And finally it all came together with this. And so she's having a ball you know, with the fight scenes and, you know, she rides motorcycles in real life. So we work that in, you know, for the character. And people are my next question. Yeah. People No, she's a big time motorcycle rider, big time. So, you know, um, you know, we put all that in there and the emotion and the, and she's, you know, and the smarts and, and it's very much her in, in this character and, and, you know, knock on wood, people people are really responding to it. Yeah, it's, it is like, I can't say how great it is. It's so cool to see her doing that. So cool. Because you didn't think, like, and I'm, I'm a big sucker for action, love action. And when you see Black women getting to do this different to mix up the narrative that we're all not one type, one personality. Right. Um, really cool. And like I said, I can't even get, like, the wrist locks. So she's taking on bats and everything. It's it's it's, it's so cool. <laughs> Like, I, was, I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God, because I didn't expect it. Like she it's like explosions and she's running and it's crazy. Right. Um yeah. <laughs> what um uh, I gotta ask you about this because this is another one too. I gotta make sure I get in before I wrap up here. Zoe ever after. Is that ever come back? Do we get to see after the season finale on this? Like I know it's not going on. You know, honestly, Zoe Ever After was was ordered for a second season, and then it just got caught up in the politics that were going on at the time at BET, and just never happened. And I am so disappointed because we had a terrific. First of all, you know, Brandy's Brandy back being fabulous. And funny, Brandy's so, she's so gifted. She's such a natural comedian. You know what I mean? She can do it all, drama, comedy, but so gifted um, and great cast, you know, all the way around. And it just, you know, we only did, what did we do? Six six or eight episodes, I guess was our, you know, our first season. Oh, okay. Eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, 
we were shooting in Atlanta. And so we were all, you know, and like I said, we had a set, we had been picked up for a second season and then it just fell apart. So it was one of those really heartbreaking situations because we had all invested a lot in it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just, I'm still going to keep my fingers crossed because I'm curious. I'm curious what Zoe was going to do next. <laughs> yeah. Um. So my kind of last question here for you, I'm curious for you, um, Going through this, where you know we're in a pandemic, it's a different style going on. I know you're working on the Equalizer right now. What still inspires you? Do you have any? Do you have any like, uh, you know, your your go to, I guess, uh, um, routines or you know that kind of keeps you still motivated to kind of do this because you have so much history behind you, so much, uh, so many projects. What's still like the motivator for you? You know, listen. This is a period in Hollywood where there's more receptivity to stories about people of color, you know, women of color, women in general, than probably ever before in my career. So, you know, having gone through periods of time where people, I'd go in and these, these the guys' eyes would glaze over, you know, when I started talking about some of the stories that I was interested in, to now where there's a real appetite and there's success, you know, the, the audiences clearly want them to. I'm just, I'm happy to still be able to tell stories that are meaningful to me that I want to have in the world and that I hope will, you know, positively impact people. I mean, look, it took me six years to get Harriet done. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I, I am happy with the movie. I am happy that it exists and that, you know, it, it, we, we were able to share it with the world. So, I think just to continue to do things that are meaningful to me and I think will be meaningful to other people, that's that's a gift. You I feel like you've kind of um I just thought about one more kind of listen to you go through here. I think you've kind of done most of genre. Do you have a genre you haven't done yet that you want to get into? Um you know, there are a few genres I haven't. I mean, I'm not a sci-fi person. You know, that does that's not to say I would never do sci-fi, but um, it doesn't come naturally. Um, I'm actually not a big comedy person. I, you know, yeah. again, I would do a comedy. Yeah. I really haven't, you know, I've done rom-coms, mm-hmm. which is a little, which is a, you know, subset. Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't love horror movies, but I actually would love to do a smart horror movie like a Get Out, which is, oh, really, yeah. you know, because, I know there's just something really, you know, when they're done well, not, you know, not just the kind of cheapy slasher ones, you know, yeah, yeah. real social, obviously you can have real social commentary in a way that's unexpected. So that would be on my list. Yeah. I would, I would watch that. That'd be cool. I want to see Deborah Martin Chase do a thriller for her. (laughs) I'm ready for it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much, Deborah. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. You guys go check out the female lead collection on Disney Plus, The Equalizer. I'm telling y'all, y'all not ready for what Queen Latifah and Deborah got going on the stage. Well, I can't wait to see what come back. We have a new, because uh, we were, you know, down for a couple weeks, just we, you know, mm-hmm. catching up with ourselves. So we have a new episode coming on Sunday, Sunday night, 8 p.m., CBS. Come join there you us. Go. Yep. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Really been an honor, and you guys stay safe, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds Podcast will return in just a moment. This episode is sponsored by SESH. That's S-E-S-H. Traditional therapy can be expensive, and to many of us, inaccessible. Hundreds of dollars a month to text a counselor? No thanks. SESH offers a safe space for group support where you can connect with other people in similar situations, all led by expert therapists. SESH is the leading mental health app for accessible group support, facilitated by diverse, licensed therapists who are experts in their field. SESH makes it easy for you to find your community. There are sessions for people of all different backgrounds, on topics like living with anxiety or depression, building healthy habits, coping with COVID, managing stress, parenting, relationships, body image, low self-esteem, postpartum, and much more. 
Each sesh is a 60-minute online group support session led by an experienced therapist with specific specialty and each session has a maximum of 14 participants. SESH also offers community-specific support for Black, Latinx, LGBTQIA+, and the AAPI community and more. SESH is only $60 per month for unlimited group sessions with licensed therapists. SESH is recommended by top psychologists, therapists, and mental health experts, and it offers a cost-effective way to meet your mental health goals. Oprah Magazine named SESH a top virtual mental health resource. It was the most affordable option on the list. Each new user receives a free two-week trial. Take the first step and go to seshtherapy.com today or download the SESH app in the App Store today. Again, that's seshtherapy.com. SESH is mental health care made easy. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome to the Black Girl Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and I want to name drop off the top here for you guys. Bumble, Clue, Eventbrite, Market Orders. Now, we all know, you know, these four companies where they kind of provide a service for us that aspect of these companies. But do you know that these four companies are co-founded or founded by women? So for this episode, I want to dig into what are the challenges to reaching that level? What are the biases against women trying to get into science, trying to get into the technology field? So I have the experts with me today as my guests. I am talking with the National Center for Women Information Technology. I have research scientist, Dr. Jeffrey Ann Wilder, president of NCWIT, Terry Hogan, and Director of Research, Dr. Katherine Ashcraft. And I am so excited to have these ladies. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, so I'm going to start with Terry first. Terry, can you kind of break down um, NCWIT for this, kind of explain what NCWIT is and how such an incredible resource for women? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to tell you about NCWIT. So NCWIT is a nonprofit organization. And we were founded in 2004 with a grant from the National Science Foundation. Our mission is to increase the meaningful and influential participation of women and girls across all intersections in computing fields and careers. And the way we do that is with multiple types of resources that are available, both for organizations and for women and girls themselves. For organizations, we create resources that help them work on their own internal cultures. We know that it's important that people who work in an environment or are being educated in an environment feel included and feel welcomed. And so we help organizations make that possible through our resources. And you'll hear more about those in a little bit. We also have some programs. For example, one is called Aspirations in Computing. And that's a program where young women in high school or women in college are able to connect with NCWIT and become a part of our community. We currently have approximately 20,000 women from all around the country in high school, college, and early career connected to NCWIT through our community. And those women have access to job opportunities, internship opportunities, scholarship opportunities, all kinds of great things that they can do once they join our community. And we also have some other programs uh, where we work with counselors in high school, for example, and help them understand computing and help them learn how to talk to the students that they have and the students that they counsel about what opportunities are available for them in computing. Nice. And uh, Catherine and um, Jeffrey Ann, do you guys mind telling us kind of how you got um, introduced to NCWID and how you joined up? Sure. Uh, this is... Catherine, I'm the director of research, and I have been with NCWIT for about 14 years now, I think. And I um, first started, I was a, I started out as a high school teacher and then a, a education professor, and I was interested in issues of diversity and youth in particular and pop culture. And then um, this opportunity became available to kind of also blend technology into the mix. And so since it fit really well with my passion and research kind of focuses it was a, a good fit and I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Ann, how about you? How'd you get started with NCWIT? 
Um, I've been with NCWIT for three years, and I have to be honest, prior to um, applying for the job, I had no idea about NCWIT um, and probably knew even less about the fields of computing and tech. Uh, wonderful! What a wonderful three years it's been, though, because my eyes have been totally open to it. I'm a sociologist by training and um, have spent uh, you know, the better part of 20 years looking at trying to understand um, the experiences of underrepresented groups. Um, in uh, higher education and other, really through the K-20 uh, landscape. And uh, being a part of NCWIT has really enabled me to use my social science background as a way to help inform um, and shape what we know about, um, to what Terry talked about, broadening the participation of women and girls um, in computing. And to kind of bounce off, because each of you have kind of touched on this a little bit to start with, what do you guys think is, are you noticing as far as the lack of promotion, for a better term, of women in computing, in technology? What is that hesitation? Because I'm when I'm listing off the, the co-founders, the founder, there should be a longer list than that. You know, or maybe there's women that have that interest. But what is the what is the hold up, sort of speak, or, or where's the disconnect? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Such a complicated question. That's what we like to say as social scientists, <laughs> that there's so many prongs that we're working on at once. Um, and if you're looking at the workplace in particular, um, we actually have a whole uh, systemic change model that we use to look at the ways, various ways that bias seeps into all kinds of business processes and everyday interactions. So it's really a complicated um, uh, set of biases that can come out in like, say, for example, performance evaluation, right? We know for, just to give you some off the cuff examples, we know from lots of research that women and other underrepresented groups um, tend to get more personality criticism and be held to a different standard in performance evaluations. And there's a lot of criteria that subtly bias um, the performance evaluations against them. So that's one thing we work on as well as, I mean, we could talk all day about this. So I just throw that out as a short answer and then we can delve deeper into other things, but it's multifaceted once they get into the companies, but also before they get into companies as well in the education system. Gotcha. Uh, Terry, have you noticed with, uh, with uh, having NC Witta, starting NC Witta, were you, were you noticing and uh, sort of an outcry of women wanting to know more about computing and technology and just not having the resources? You know, it's interesting that you ask that question right now, because at the very beginning of NCWIT, I was not a part of the founding of NCWIT. I joined in, I think, about 2011, so about 10 years ago. Um, but when I first joined NCWIT, we spent a lot of time explaining the problem and explaining to people why diversity mattered and why they should want more diverse populations inventing technology and representing themselves more fully at the table for innovation. But as time went by, it became less and less important to convince people that diversity was important. And it became more important to convince people that they were able to change the complexion of their organization through hard work and through resources and through working with organizations like NCWIT. And so there has been for a long time a focus on organizations and leaders and helping them create the cultures that are best for women and girls. And we have heard certainly from a lot of women and from girls as well when they're in the K-12 space that they have interest in tech. And one of the things that has happened recently that has been fascinating, in my opinion, is that our program for high school counselors who talk to the high school students, obviously, we have been doing those virtually since the start of the pandemic. And we have had an incredibly high number of students asking to join those programs because they want to learn about computing and they want to learn about computing careers. And they don't necessarily have access to resources that help them understand what a career in computing is like. And so it has been just tremendous to see the students be so interested that they want to join programs that are made for their high school uh, professional counselors, but they themselves want to right. see what it's all about. So that's been wonderful to see. And, and just to, uh, Jeffrey, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Catherine, go ahead. Just to add on to that, I think an important distinction about NCWIT is, uh, so we do have some of these programs that Terry's talking about for young women, but um, also we are focused more on fixing systems 
and uh, working with organizations and change leaders rather than working with uh, women themselves, um, because so many times uh, these efforts tend to default to what we call fix the woman or fix the person kind of solutions, like giving them more professional development or confidence training. And uh, we know that that's not going to ever fix the system. It's going to be good professional development for everyone, but it won't change the status quo. So we really emphasize fixing um, systems and focusing on those organizational processes and engaging both women and men and other people of all genders in creating change. Um, and Catherine, just to keep it going here, since you mentioned the systems, will you tell us about, talk to us about unconscious bias? Um, kind of give us like, I know this could be a whole other <laughs> podcast on its own, but you know, right. just kind of give us like the basics of, you know, what it means and, you know, some of the signs, like, are there, are there in this organization's, um, if sometimes you're talking about uh, uh, white male leaders or CEOs, are they not noticing that this is what, what is going on, you know, yeah. throughout their companies? Yeah, for sure. We do a lot of work with, uh, like I said, change leader teams on recognizing implicit or unconscious bias and uh, how it manifests in different ways. So one of the most powerful ways I think people can recognize is it is how it manifests in everyday interactions and subtle little instances, Right. And that these, so you may have heard these called uh, micro inequities or microaggressions. And it can be simple as um, research showing that underrepresented groups are interrupted more often or more frequently in meetings, right? Or that they are not uh, given credit for their ideas or that you walk into a meeting and somebody doesn't recognize you as like the engineer in the room, right? So it's like... Right. Uh, countless stories of people being told we're waiting for the lead engineer to get here and she's already there, but nobody uh, recognized that that was her. And so those can be exhausting kinds of experiences. Um, but one thing we do like to mention is that we all share these biases, right? They, um, it's not just, it's not about pitting groups against each other, but because we all grow up in this culture, dominant culture, we all share these biases um, and need to work to, to uh, be more intentional about recognizing them. And yes, and we could go on forever. <laughs> right. And I'm curious too, um, and feel free, Terry, uh, Jeffrey, Ann, if you want to jump in as well here, you know, uh, being that we're in a pandemic, have you noticed um, as far as like unco unconscious bias, um, you also have a podcast I know um, for the, uh, the tech culture interrupted. Have you noticed a shift? Have you noticed the more that we're at home, the more that this is virtual has this kind of made things a little bit more worse as far as the connection? Are people noticing these issues or these biases or has it, has it kind of helped people to kind of dig in a little bit more? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think we're still wondering about that ourselves. It's a bit of a mixed bag. I think, um, mm. I think there are some ways that it has opened up doors or accelerated some, um, momentum for progress in terms of, especially, uh, things around flexible work and working at home. I think people are more receptive to some of that. People that were skeptical before, you know, have seen how uh, the world didn't come to, uh, you know, grinding halt, work didn't come to a grinding halt when people started working from home. And so they're more receptive to those ideas. But we also know that there's a lot of increased pressure, especially on women and women of color at in these kinds of, uh, as these responsibilities have shifted and that they're bearing, you know, an unequal burden for some of the at-home responsibilities. So that kind of, it, it's a mixed bag in that regard. But I do think people are, have a heightened awareness about some of these conversations. And we've had some really, like we were, we were concerned, I think at NCWIT about, you know, we used to do all these kinds of workshops and discussions in person and that we were worried about how effective they would be, you know, doing them virtually because it's hard to talk about those or issues. And, and I think because it's the only option these days, people are um, really committed to having those conversations, perhaps more so than when, you know, you had the option to be in person. So we have had some really effective, I think, engaging conversations virtually about these topics with change leader teams. Yeah, I also want to add just real quick to the both opening doors and making things harder at the same time, Catherine. The ability to go virtual has allowed us to reach people who are in places we wouldn't have been able to reach previously. And that has become more and more important. We are able to work with people who are in remote locations where maybe we couldn't have traveled before because it just would have been too hard to get there. And we're seeing that 
have some pretty good impact, in my opinion, where people who normally don't have access to in-person types of resources are actually seeing that they're able to use some of our virtual resources in ways they couldn't before. And in the kind of, um, oh, go ahead, Catherine. Did you have something oh, no, I, just, I was just going to say, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's a, yeah, it's definitely created a whole new, a whole new culture. All of, all of us being virtual. Um, another aspect too, I want to kind of bring in here, um, Jeffrey Ann, if you want to kind of kick this off for us, I know a lot of your research is in colorism, and I was kind of curious if you would first of all, um, just define that for us. And again, this is a whole other separate podcast. It could probably be. <laughs> um, but, um, and then also too, what have you noticed as far as the virtual impact on that as well, and just that effect on women in tech? Well, okay, so I'll start with maybe the easier of the questions, and that's defining colorism, which is essentially um, discrimination based upon skin tone. So I think, um, you know, we have really been witnessing a racial reckoning um, in our country over the past year as it relates to differences um, in racial and ethnic categories. Um, skin or colorism um, is that same level of differentiation, discrimination, bias, inequity, if you will, based upon the lightness or darkness of one's skin tone. And colorism um, operates to extend privilege or bias uh, based upon how light or dark someone is within a particular group. And colorism is something that uh, majority and minority folks engage in, whether that's unconsciously or blatantly. Um, I've been studying colorism for, believe it or not, um, 25 years or so. Um, and as a woman of color, it's something that has always been, you know, curious and interesting to me. When I joined NCWIT, um, one of the things I really appreciate about our organization is the fact that we recognize um, and we look at um, solving the problems as it relates to um, inclusion and participation through an equity lens. And we bring an intersectional perspective to everything that we do. So we recognize and understand that women and girls who are in this space are going to have different experiences um, and perspectives based upon, um, you know, their social location, what they bring to the space. Uh, likewise, we also know that solving the problems, if you will, trying to broaden the participation, meaning meaningful and influential participation of women and girls in tech requires us to offer an intersectional lens to those solutions. And so that's where colorism enters the space um, because it's something that I've been, um, you know, researching for a really long time, um, I wondered, right, the extent to which color color bias, in the same way as racial bias, gender bias, other kinds of biases, present themselves within tech spaces. And, uh, you know, I haven't necessarily, we haven't necessarily said, aha, it exists. We know it's there in the same way that other biases are naturally there just by way of um, the, the, the society in which we live and how, how, and, and how we treat people. But really the, the notion of entering colorism in the conversation is our uh, way in which that we are intersectional in our approach to solving problems and also empowering change leaders to be influential in the space. So a colorist perspective is necessary in the same way that other perspectives are necessary. If we're thinking about, for instance, in the K-12 space, you know, what can edu educators do or think about um, when they're encouraging girls um, in tech? Think about the extent to which uh, we may be potentially encouraging more girls who happen to be lighter skinned or discouraging folks um, you know, through an unconscious lens, not to participate in, in into things. And so I think that's the really neat thing about um, being an NCWIT is that we have the ability to, to bring to bear all of our experience um, and influence that within the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, too, I want to talk because you mentioned a little bit about the uh, the K through 12. Um, what do you ladies feel more that could be done to uh, more about, especially since um, the youth is at home now? A lot of them, well, some of them are going back to because they're because of virtual learning. But what can be done as far as STEM and 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 um, the youth being able to recognize the importance of science and technology? I that's think we're just trying to figure out who's going to jump in. Right? <laughs> See, that's, yeah, that's I was like, word. I probably should have said a name. See, this is what happens when I have a I have a whole bunch of wonderful researchers and I don't call a name. Uh, Terry, you want you want to kick us off? I think I saw you a little bit there. You want to try? It? Oh, I was jumping in to say that's a great question. I think Jeffrey Ann should answer that. 
<laughs> I love it. The toss off. Jeffrey Ann. Okay. Um, so can you, can you give me a portion? Of, can you just repeat the question again? I think I, I know what I want yeah, to respond. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to kind of base off your um, your K-12 approach uh-huh. to it. Just talking about um, the youth and being virtual learning at home. How do you think, is that helped? Or how do you think what can be done more to get youth to get more involved as far as um, computing and technology and science? Did we lose? Oh, she's on mute. I think you're muted. You're muted. Too. I was on mute too. Gosh, I was okay. saying all these wonderful things and you didn't hear it. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh gosh! So I was gonna say, um, I, I this is something I know that that is, has impacted all of us, right? I have a third grader here at home with me right now, and I know that for as much as there's been concern about learning loss and too much screen time and sort of overexposure to, to um, technology during this time, I think that. Um, the flip side of that is it's provided us with opportunities. I think Catherine mentioned the ways in which, or perhaps it was Terry, the ways in which we've had to pivot over time over the past year. And I think a lot of, um, when you're thinking specifically about how to encourage more girls and underrepresented groups um, in tech and how to bring, uh, to be more inclusive in these environments, I think the virtual space in a lot of ways has has enabled us to be a lot more inclusive and to do things to bring things to students and to kids in ways in which we weren't able to do a year ago. Um, so to a certain extent, I think it's been able, it's enabled us to sort of um, open that umbrella up a lot wider um, to provide a lot of the informal programming that perhaps may have existed in an after school space, for instance. Now those spaces are virtual. Um, we've seen a lot of organizations think about how they can um, bring tech and bring encouragement to kids at home, you know, in their living room or in their bedroom. So I think it's provided a good way for us to um, to be more encouraging and also to be more inclusive and to bring more kids um, into, you know, inquiring more about tech. Catherine, did you have anything? I don't know if you were oh muted before. Did you have anything? Are you good? I, I mean, I like you said, we could go on for another whole podcast on this topic as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the things that we're trying to do now are also, you know, working with educators and like Terry mentioned, counselors um, to just continue to increase the awareness. And I think the other key piece, you know, which was true before the pandemic and continues to be true is working on, you know, uh, expanding the representations of who does computing and from a very young age, like the messages that kids get from media, pop culture, and other adult influencers as well, and just uh, making those representations and role models more inclusive. And I want to kind of swap back to, um, oh, let me double check. Terry, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Uh, No, thank you. Oh, okay. Nope. Um, so to the kind of jump at, let's go. I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to the grown, to the grown women, the grown ups now. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, um, what do you feel? I guess for, I guess we'll kind of go down the line here, um, uh, with you ladies. What is one thing, I guess, one tip you would advise if you're dealing with these biases? Um, you're a woman in a, in these, some of these tech companies trying to, trying to climb up, trying to reach the top, but you're, you know, scared to speak out or not knowing what the right move is as far as, um, finding, you know, more helpful resources to help you feel more comfortable in your position, in your job, that you belong there. What What is kind of one tip or um, a piece of advice, if you will, that each one of you would kind of kind of throw out there, kind of like a lasting message? Uh, Terry, you want to go first? Sure. Um, or you can, you can pass it. You know, you can pass it along if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to start out by saying, <laughs> saying something that uh, Catherine had mentioned earlier, which is, NCWIT really wants to fix the systems. And so any advice that or recommendations that we would give to women and girls themselves is predicated on the fact that we don't want women and girls to have to need advice from us. We want women and girls to be in wonderful, amazing cultures where they feel fully present and like they can be fully participatory in what's going on. So anything that we say, I want to predicate with that. (laughs) That said... (laughs) Um, 
you know, we do have some resources that are available for women in the workplace. One of the resources about how you can look for mentors, how you can look for sponsors, how you can identify advocates in the um, spaces around you. And so we have resources like that for women in the workplace, especially, and also in school. And I think that it's less from my perspective, and I do want to hear what Catherine and Jeffrey Ann have to say as well, but it's less from my perspective about giving advice to girls who are still in school, because what advice I want to give them is to do what you love to do and to be yourself always, no matter what your interests are. And I want them to have the wonderful opportunity to do that because their schools are inclusive. (laughs) So I sort of didn't answer your question, but um, sort of did. I don't know. That's perfect. Hey, any advice that works for me? Yeah. Be yourself, do what you, yeah. Hopefully they're in that environment where they don't have to worry about it. That's right. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that is the key, right? We often have Mm -hmm. this um, debate at NCWIT where, or not really a debate, but a discussion of the tension of, you know, trying to change the system so that um, you don't have to give that kind of advice or have to navigate. But we know that meanwhile, people are in these kind of situations that aren't welcoming. And so sometimes you have to provide what we tend to call lifeboat strategies, right? But um, in order to survive the storm, but really you want to uh, get rid of the storm and make it so that that lifeboat is not necessary. And, uh, but to kind of build on what Terry was saying, I think for women in unwelcoming situations, we do know from a lot of our um, research on allies in tech spaces that having an ally can really help, whether it's uh, someone who identifies as a male ally and can advocate for gender issues or other kinds of uh, different intersecting identities, majority, minority group um, situations where we all are sometimes in the majority, sometimes in the minority and need an ally um, who can help sometimes make that environment better as well. And uh, we know that, for example, we did a study with people who identified as men and we're working in um, diversity and tech efforts. And they all talked about how uh, their interactions with their female colleagues often changed their point of view. Just having um, like hearing their stories was a significant factor in changing their point of view. Like they didn't know some of the things existed and it was like a a sort of visceral kind of connection that um, transformed the way they think about these things. And so that can make a big difference is if you can find, you know, Um, allies like that to share your experiences with. But of course you have to do it with people that feel, you know, safe or supportive. Jeffrey, not to put you on the spot, did you have anything you want to add? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if we're passing the baton to me or not. Um, I I, I mean, I think it's always important in thinking about advice. Um, One other thing I always share is, um, you know, although um, I just started working uh, with NCWIT, three years ago, um, and most of my experiences was, has been in a non-tech space, but as a woman of color, I think, um, in a girl at, of color at one point, I think it's always important to re- reiterate part of, um, a lot of what Terry is saying is there's no one way that, um, a person or a person who's in computing or STEM or, or tech should look like, and that we, um, should encourage, um, ourselves, you know, each other to be ourselves, uh, no matter what, I think that's important and to never feel that you have to, um, shrink to a particular, um, you know, stereotype or, um, you know, perspective. Um, and there is really no one, one way to be. So I think, um, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. And I love too, how all of you led with the, just the, the fact of being able to have your own space to do what you love and just to not to, to leave out that, that fun of it and the, in the, the interesting side, um, interesting nature of science and technology. Speaking of which, um, to kind of end here, I would love if you guys would give us like your your go to. Have you guys discovered during the um, during uh, the uh, pandemic, staying at home, like a go to app, something you cannot that is part of your regular regimen now that you've been at home. A go to what? Could call be it? Zoom. Say it again. A go to what did you ask for? Oh, um, any kind of app, any kind of text. We're in the tech world right now. Any kind of app that's oh. really become a part of like your routine since you're now since we're all kind of trapped at home. We're slowly opening back up, but. Yes. If it can be, can it be a silly answer? <laughs> yes. Please make it silly. Let's get silly with it. Make it silly. Uh, watching uh, 
various happy animal videos, like the cat rescue um, cam is actually nice, nice, <laughs> particularly calming and <laughs> helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable. You should check them out. <laughs> I know. I, I need to do this. Like I, as soon as we start downloading this, I need to check off and do that. I need to check that out. I mean, you can't go wrong with a cat, cat rescues. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I've been, uh, listening to a lot of podcasts a lot more over the past year. Um, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I, there are different ones that I listen to, but, and I don't really think that, um, I was listening to a whole lot of podcasts before, so that's not a particular app, but, um, I listen to podcasts a lot more, right? So, um, I, I think that's important. And if we're talking about like, you know, silly stuff, I mean, I have to admit I've definitely been on um, you know, any kind of meme, right, that um, appears on social oh, media yes, as a result memes, of stuff. Yep. And if we're talking about the cat oh. meme, the one that of the, the guy who, the attorney, right, who, I don't know if his kids <laughs> or grandkids turned him into oh, a cat, yes. right, that was probably <laughs> yes, yep. the funniest mm-hmm. thing ever. Um, I literally laughed for 20 minutes on that. Um, I'm going to go look that up now because it's pretty funny. Um, so podcast and, you know, social media via uh, Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that. Yeah, I would have to agree with Jeffrey Ann. I have a similar answer. Although it's not an app, I have been listening to books because I love to read, but I find that my eyes are so fatigued from looking at the video camera all day and looking at the screen all day Mm -hmm. that just being able to close my eyes for a little while has been unbelievably great. (laughs) So I have, I subscribed to the audible subscription and I've been using or listening to audio books as a way to give my eyes a rest. All right. So I need audio books. I need memes and I need cat rescue videos. I got it. I just feel in in my defense, I I also have been reading and listening to books. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, Catherine, now I got to do double books before I get to the cat rescue. I was just sold on the cat rescue. (laughs) Well, thank you, ladies, so much. All my credibility. (laughs) Hey, hey, listen, you got to have a little fun. Come on now. You have a little fun. Tech tech is fun, too. Tech is fun, too. It can be silly. Um, again, thank you ladies so much for joining me. I really appreciate all your insight and the funny jokes and everything. It's been amazing. Um, NC wit for all you listeners, definitely Google it, check it out. Um, as a resource, if you're thinking about getting started in science and technology computing, or if you're already in it. So, um, but yeah, thank you ladies again so much. Thank you. And I will, thank you. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.